the radical left, the Marxists, the anarchists, the agitators, the looters, and people who, in many instances, have absolutely no clue what they are doing. Welcome to What Radicalized You, a podcast of stories and experiences that have shaped people's ideas about our world and the way society should function. My name is Kai, I'm 21, and I don't really consider myself an activist, even though that's a lot of the work that I do, honestly. I've done a lot of work in the period poverty area and and fighting for access to period products and better sex education within schools specifically. I also focus a lot of effort on climate change issues. I think activism has been a big part of my day-to-day life, so if there's an issue that I see, I'll talk about it. But I also kind of just view these things as like a part of my reality, because there are things that impact me a lot of the time, or things that could impact me if I was in different situations, and I feel like that kind of is just how they factor into like my day-to-day life and the things that I do. So I've never really considered activism necessarily as like a part of my life. It's always just been like, oh, here's an issue, I'm gonna focus on it. So I was adopted and I feel like that's very much impacted my sense of the world because I am someone who very much believes healthcare is a human right, housing is a human right, all of these things, everything I think that you need to survive should be a human right and we could get into the conversation of should we have to pay for anything, what does that look like and because the idea that certain people have access to things that other people don't really infuriates me thinking about like being adopted is that I have been afforded certain benefits just by being adopted and by the family that I was adopted into and like where I was adopted and all of these things that circumstance for me could have easily been very very different whether it had been I wasn't put up for adoption or I was adopted into a different family or I went into the foster care system or any of those situations I could have had a very different life I could have had very different things impacting me and that's not to say that I wouldn't have had a great life regardless and that's also not to say that like things have been perfect for me in the life that I have right now but I also have been very hyper aware of the fact that a lot of opportunities that I've had have come from where I live my parents who they know and the people that I've grown up around and the people that I know and I've met purely by being someone who lives in such a huge city. You know, I've never had to worry about certain things and that could have been very different. And I've, I've thought about that from a young age because I, you know, that's like a very natural thing to ponder is what would life have been like had I not been put up for adoption or if a different family had been picked or if this situation had been just entirely different. And You know, I could be living in, like, a completely different state in the middle of nowhere below the poverty line, you know, with a very different family. And I think about what my life would look like under that sort of lens. And when I started thinking about that situation much more in depth, that's when I started really becoming aware of the fact that a lot of what we've been told about 
why certain people have access to certain things as opposed to others is such a lie. So much of it has to do with where you live and who you know and money and all of these things, your skin color, your gender, your sexuality, all of these things come into play. And so little of it has to do with actually how much of a hard worker you are or like how special you are as a person. Because, like, I also believe that everyone, you know, is special in, you know, their own way. And I don't think that, like, any of that should have any impact on whether or not you have, like, food stability, you know? Maybe we should reconsider that idea because it's a little bit harmful. And this whole idea that, like, working hard means that you'll have everything you need when so many people work so hard and don't have everything they need. And I think that that's something that I've thought about a lot through that and just like being involved in things on social media and talking with friends like I got a lot more involved with protests specifically Black Lives Matter after Eric Garner passed away and then I went to a a couple more like some like after the election and I was getting very involved with that and so I feel like that kind of spiraled into like just learning a lot more about a lot of the policies that we have in place and about a lot more radical viewpoints at least for America in terms of what we view as radical and getting a lot more involved with not only protesting here in the U.S. but also mutual aid efforts. It's such a hard thing for me to think about too because on the one hand I love adoption and I think the concept of adoption is a really beautiful thing and important for so many people because no matter what we do like there will be unwanted pregnancies and people who don't want to get an abortion or there are just a lot of situations where someone might need to be put up for adoption or people would need to adopt a kid and I think also just looking past that at you know there are so many kids out there that do need a home and not viewing adoption Mm -hmm. as like a last resort thing for like parents who can't conceive I think Mm -hmm. is very important but at the same time there's so much within that system both the adoption system and the foster care system that is really exploitative and really really awful it's a very racist system it's a very ableist system very sexist system and I think they specifically within I mean you see this with like kids adopted you know at birth as well but specifically with foster parents a lot of the times they don't do a great job vetting people and you see kids put into like really dangerous situations and I the whole concept that you get paid for fostering a child has made it very dangerous for a lot of these kids because parents will foster like way more kids than they should be or they'll foster purely to get money out of it and then not put those resources into the kid and I think that also you have to look at why do the people feel the the need to do that you know because clearly like they're desperate for money most of the time then the kid has to pay the price for that some of the stories I've heard you know obviously with respect to the people that have told them have been absolutely horrendous and that's on the end of both being the only foster kid in a household and being in more of a group home situation. It's a system that very much treats these kids as expendable. You know, they're like literally going from house to house with their like few belongings in a garbage bag. And the foster care system loves to say, oh, like they emphasize putting families back together and 
protecting these kids, but they don't really do either of those things. A lot of the time, there are situations where a kid will be taken away from a parent for way longer than they need to be taken away and, and or they don't need to be taken away at all. And it's a situation that unfortunately has come out of, again, like a lot of the systems that we have in place. And there are a lot, a lot of different options that could come in that don't involve splitting a family up. And those are rarely ever considered. One of the big conversations that people have is, you know, like white parents adopting kids of a different race um, and mm-hmm. like what that does, whether it's like domestically or mm-hmm. adopting like internationally, specifically from China and removing those kids from their culture. On the one hand, I'm like, I would rather kids be put into a loving home where they can be cared for. But a part of that is also making sure at the very least that they like understand where they came from and that the parents understand that things might be very different for their kid just based on their skin color and the way that they look. You have like two sides of the spectrum and one of them is a very anti-adoption viewpoint, which is that, oh, these white parents should like never be taking a kid who's not of their own race because they could never raise a black child, an Asian child, an indigenous child, the way that someone of that race could raise those children. And like, they'll never be able to like fully connect them to the culture. um, And they'll never be able to like fully understand the issues that these children will face or could face. And then the other side of that is people will say, yes, that's true. But at the same time, like these kids need a home. And as long as the parents are willing to learn and are like loving and, you know, good parents, it doesn't matter. And at what point are you starting to care about connecting someone to culture more than you're caring about them having a good roof over their head? That's a very difficult conversation to have because I very much understand both sides of it. So I was, my adoptive mom is white, but my adoptive father is Asian. And so it's been like a very interesting experience growing up because obviously I don't really look like my parents necessarily and like I am white so there isn't necessarily that aspect of them having to understand like how certain things might impact me more than them but it is something that I've thought about a lot because I've had definitely had like my own struggles with identity in that regard and at the same time I'm like I would much rather be living a life that I'm living now with them than be in a very different situation. I really do think like the answer to that is making sure there's more of a support network in place for like interracial adoption and and making sure that these parents have a way to connect their kid to the culture that they're from or a way to make sure that the kid feels less alienated because it certainly is like an alienating space to be in no matter who you are as like an adopted kid just because you're very othered by our culture. And I don't think that like people consider the fact that there are adopted kids out there a lot. That support network needs to be in place and it's not. And I think that's where a lot of these issues come in and and kids feel very much like the parents don't understand like what they're going through or that they don't care like whether they have the ability to like learn their language or about like the customs in maybe their country of origin or whatever and are kind of just like, well, we have a kid now and that's that. And I think that that's like one of the major issues that needs to be tackled on all ends. I've run into a lot of situations personally and I know like from talking with other kids who've been adopted that they've also had similar situations happen where like 
people will kind of fill in your backstory for you this idea that you have the most traumatizing backstory and like your mom was like addicted and lived on the street or came from like a situation like extreme violence or whatever it is they fill that in for you and therefore they have like this picture of who you are as a person oh they weren't wanted like they weren't cared for and now they're just so lucky that like this family would even take them in because they're not a biological child and like they might have issues because they're adopted very like akin at least my experiences being someone who is queer like coming out it's something that you have to do like over and over and over again it's even less thought about than the fact that someone might be gay and especially with like a, having a korean father like people either assume that i am half korean or they like automatically assume that either like my mom like remarried or that they they immediately get that i'm adopted but then like that brings up really awkward questions and that brings it back to like feeling kind of out of place because I never like felt like fully I was like a part of the Asian squad obviously because I don't look Asian and like the way that I'm treated is very different from the way someone who looks Asian is treated but I also did not fully identify with my white friends because there were a lot of cultural differences there and I also was very aware of the way that things had impacted my father and that side of the family growing up and my white friends very rarely had to consider that because usually their families were completely just full of white people and so mm. that like led down the whole spiral of like me not even being able to like be honest about being adopted and I would like either not answer the question or I would just like kind of lie about it or I wouldn't it was like kind of just a weird game of avoiding that topic as a whole when I was younger and was able to view interactions that my dad had I always thought people treat him with a lot of respect and so I until I was a bit older like I always thought that there wasn't really anything different about him as I got older and like we would go on family trips to places that you know were not like a big city not not some place where there was a whole lot of diversity essentially I remember very vividly specifically one time when I was probably like 11 or 12 I want to say we were visiting some family in Maryland and we were driving back from visiting them and we stopped at like this little like sandwich shop on the road because we were hungry there were a group of white men just sitting I guess around a table and they all just kind of looked at him when he came in realized he was not white and the air just got hostile it was just like apparently like a really terrifying experience for him and like he's not someone who I think gets scared very easily and I remember him saying that like the person working behind the counter was not white either and they looked grateful that he had like come into the shop and so it's that was like one of the first very vivid memories that I have of realizing hey this is like a very real threat to like my dad like a member of my family thank god nothing physical happened but something could have and you know there have been like times on the street and he's unfortunately like, experienced this not only from white people but from black people and latino people as well getting like threats on the street someone like threatened to shoot him once for no reason when i was younger i remember i left my dog with him we were at the beach and he was like watching over our dog for like a couple minutes while my mom and i like i guess went down to the shore or something and like apparently like a group of white kids came up to him and were being really really disrespectful i'm calling him slurs even like as recent as this year which i guess is not surprising considering there's been like a rise in anti-asian hate crimes and rhetoric 
he was on the train and there were a group of kids like making fun of him for being Asian. I don't know whether they assumed that he couldn't understand them because he was Asian, which is a thing that's happened a lot with him, or they just didn't care. I mean, regardless, like that's a very awful thing to do. And he kind of had to just sit there because it was a group of people, you know, he can't really like start a fight. He has a lot of Asian friends as well who some have been like physically attacked being with my dad and going places where people don't know who he is and like don't have not worked with him don't know him as a person at all the level of respect that he gets is very different from the level of respect that even I get or like even more specific like when I'm like out with white friends and their parents the level of respect that like someone a white man my dad's age might get you know like in a restaurant or a store or something it's just very jarringly different and you can see it happen like right in front of your eyes that is something that I've had to explain to people is that like hey I'm telling you this as a white person like I can see the difference I see it every single day my dad has had really close friends of his who like he's you know given careers to essentially and like done so much stuff for and and been really close with like say really disrespectful things when he's finally felt comfortable enough to bring up racism that he's experienced because they don't want to hear about it. I've noticed a lot of shifting within the way that not only I think but the way that people around me think like once they realize how communal certain things can be so I think a real shift into mutual aid networks is essential because it's very clear that the government as it is does not protect people in the way that we need to be protected and I think that once we kind of show that we are invested in not only ourselves and like what issues specifically impact us personally but the issues that impact the community as a whole and like my neighbor their issues are my issues essentially right and so like showing that we care about each other and that we're invested in each other and are willing to like really put ourselves on the line and like do this work reinvest in our communities and not just rely on the government to do these things is a really big first step and and something that I think is a very tangible thing that we can do and a very I don't want to say easy way to make change but something that is a very immediate way to make change and I think that's a very big first step is getting if you are not involved in mutual aid yet and you're listening to this like please get involved in mutual aid in some way shape or form really has taught me anything it's that human beings are not inherently selfish like we're taught you wouldn't be people out at jail support in the freezing cold or sweltering heat whatever at 4 a.m if people were inherently selfish because there are a million things i bet you that people would rather be doing you know especially when it's really cold and it's late at night like i would rather be in my bed to be honest but like that community aspect and being there for the people that have just experienced trauma and like making sure that people have food if they need it when they get out or medical care yep. or emotional support or a ride home whatever it is that is ultimately much more important to me as a community member than getting necessarily like a full night's sleep and I also know that hey if I'm really not feeling good and I need to get that full night's sleep I can say hey like I'm sorry I can't be there but I know other people will. And you know, that's like the really great yeah. thing is that people come together and people are very willing to do these things for each other. These like necessary things that people would scoff at from like a capitalist yeah. viewpoint. Everyone is taught you have to fend for yourself. 
when you have a community looking out for you and you say like hey I really need something and they're there to supply that or there to be emotional support or to take you somewhere if you need to like go to the hospital whatever it is it's absolutely insane to go into a space where you suddenly become aware of the fact that people are there for you another thing is education not only when we talk about school curriculums because that is very important like the way that we're taught about america specifically and we're not taught about the violence that was a major part of america being established and again investing in education within our communities like i've seen like so many just pamphlets brochures books free libraries at protests and you know at occupy city hall there was a free library and people like lending books to each other and just having conversations with people on the larger scale too so like, a lot of the protest groups that i'm aware of will do weekly circles to discuss certain issues like i was actually just talking with a friend of mine who is a part of a group here in new york and they have like a group meeting the men will get together and we'll discuss ways that they might be contributing to misogyny and like how they can do better and they'll have one or two women from the group who are willing to moderate it and kind of throw out questions or guide them a little bit on the whole like the emphasis is on is on them to figure out how they need to be doing better and they can like bring in real world experience to and be like hey this is a situation where i might have messed up i think that that has been very impactful like the more very intimate conversations i've had with people the more i've notice people's mindsets begin to change because while I do have a lot of people that I think in my life who are very similar in their viewpoints I also have a lot of people who maybe are on that path but are not at the point where it's like oh abolish the police you know all of all of that great stuff they're not at that level yet and like the more that I speak with them and the more that I talk to them and and have conversations and guide them towards resources the more they're able to fully get a bigger picture of what is going on in our country and when you have like a whole generation of people doing this like we're kind of starting to see a little bit like i've never seen even back when i was doing black lives matter protests when they first started out essentially when they were not as big even as they are now like I did not see such a large-scale call for abolition of the police or mutual aid or even like completely dismantling systems. It was always talking about reform. And I think that that's a major shift that I've noticed and something that makes me really really happy and I think the more that we just pull people in, that's work that we can all do together. the emphasis really needs to be on the community aspect of it because we've been such an individualistic nation and i think that that has really hindered us community is everything and especially when there are issues impacting people like people forget that all of these issues ultimately impact everyone and they all feed into each other and i think that when we can look at it from that viewpoint as opposed to a very individualistic this is my struggle and my struggle alone i don't want help i don't need help or i don't you know like that's not my business i'm not going to get involved i'm not going to help them out i think that is a very toxic and and harmful mindset to be in and and the more we pull away from that and actively pull away from it not just you know a subconscious pulling away i will be on a better track when people get involved in politics in the future a lot more change can actually be made from people coming in with a different viewpoint